Hey, hey, hey. I am Aisha, and this is Black Girl from Eugene. I am on here at Facebook Live. It looks like, I don't know, I'm just going back in, in and out. Um, I'm also streaming live on uh, <clears throat> all podcast platforms, as well as KEPW 97.3 um, LP local radio station. So shout out to the folks there at KEPW. Also to my underwriters, Sundance. Um, thank you so much for supporting my show and thank you so much for being here. Anyway, um, I realized I don't think I've ever worn my glasses actually on <laughs> on live, but here I am with my glasses on. Yes, y'all, I am blind. I literally cannot see a thing without my glasses on. Um, so if anyone's viewing, put a shout out, say hello in the comments. You are getting me today. And today I am going to be talking very briefly about the way um, the adults get in the way of talking to children about race. And so I'm just going to throw it out there. Like I have been doing a lot of workshops lately and I've been working out, you know, just in the schools and, and other uh, platforms of, of folks who actually engage with children. And to talk about how you can talk about race, um, it's generally white people and parents who have this, um, I don't want to say affliction, but like this kind of a deterrent to talking about race with their kids. And when we had these conversations, the one thing that I found extremely apparent, and I wanted to say it on a podcast and say it out loud to everyone, is that when you're talking to kids about race, really the children are not as conflicted as we are. And so as we're talking about race, we are getting our own complex ideas and our own biases and internalized racism, and we are putting it into the explanations for the children. And that is what blocks the process and the progress. Talking about race is not difficult. How you feel about race is what makes it difficult. And so that's the part that people want to kind of skip over where it's like, oh, let's just let's just have this quick conversation. But you got to like quite understand the way your relationship is to racism before that you can actually get down to trying to explain it to somebody else. That's kind of the bottom line. So when you have a three-year-old or four-year-old that wants to talk about, you know, why a child called them a name based on the, the way they look, you as adults, immediately think about all of the consequences and all, excuse me, of the actions that go along with it, other than what the child is actually asking you. So, excuse me. So because of that, we tend to have this reaction of like, um, oh no, what do I say? How do I say this? What, when's a good time to say it? Is it appropriate? But what is it, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate? I mean, in this conversation, I don't know how black folks are struggling with talking about race because in my history and in my knowledge, we really don't. So this is really like talking to folks who struggle with the conversation and the concept of race, period. So um, anyway, if a child's already asking you about the, the, the simplicities of color, you know, and I'm air quoting color around your skin, around their skin, around the differences that they see. If we immediately take it to this complex fear-based monologue of what race and color really means, we are actually complicating this conversation. You know, a child as young as two, even younger infancy, when they start to, to notice differences is when this conversation can pop up. As soon as a child is verbalized, they will verbalize differences. They notice differences way before that. 
Now, when we talk about race as a, as a social construct, us as adults are putting all of the political, all of the social, con- all of the issues that go along with it. But when a child is asking you, why does someone not like the color black and why does someone prefer the color white? We immediately complicate that situation. We can very easily start talking to children about, because they're very direct, right? They see black, they see a black color. They're like, I am not that color black. This doesn't make sense. Like they, people call me black, but the, this is what black is. Like, what are you talking about? Oh shit, now we're talking about sociology. Now we're talking about actual, uh, you know, the, the, the racial construct. And now we're getting deep, right? And this is like to a four-year-old. So how are we going to do this? The issue is, is that we're doing that to our, we're doing that to them. The narrative of a difference at that age can be as beautiful or as harmful as you, as the adult, decided to be. So it's extremely important that when we're talking up to a child about race and the differences that we see in, in each other, hair texture, hair color tones, um, eye color, all of these things, that we don't actually paint that narration with our own biases or, or the fear that people have around race that goes into the explanation of what the color is actually really about. So I wanted to just put that out there so that people can understand that, you know, the reason why we have descriptions of the color brown um, for skin tones in terms of food quite a bit. People like black folks will say her skin was like brown like honey or he was, you know, vanilla white or, you know, her skin was kissed by the sun or is chocolatey brown. All of those things are are, um, ways to bring in love and enjoyment and beauty and, and any good affects to the description of black and brown. Because generally, if we let white folks say it, the, the, the affects and the descriptions are, are full of fear. Uh, they're scary. They, they're dark and, and you know, uh, criminal. All of these things that go along with blackness that, that have nothing to do, that really have nothing to do with the actual color, but it has all of these characteristics that are tied to the color that are then transferred over to people. So what I'm talking about talking to children. We don't have to get that deep. The idea about fear based in how we describe when someone talks about race and we're trying to make sure that the children, the white children in their privileged spaces don't uh, put upon onto black and brown children any kind of, uh, of harm. But the truth of it is, and is, is that, at that at the age of three and four and five, if we're doing that already, we're already telling them that they have a sense of privilege that the black and brown kids don't have. This is not fundamentally true. We're just prepping them for what we see what we see society as. How are we ever going to change the dynamics unless we are prepping the black and brown children just as we are prepping the white children and they are equally understanding that neither one of them have privilege or power when it comes to what we're talking about in this moment. In this moment we're talking about the color black. In this moment, we're talking about the color white. You know, we don't actually have to assign the social constructs at that moment at three and four. What we do have to assign is a narrative of empowerment and choice and beauty and thought-provoking ideas around the options that black can be other than what will be described to them in three or four years. We want to give a narrative of this to children that when someone says black is criminal, they go, hmm, I saw black as something totally different. 
Whenever I think of black, I think of the sky. I think of the night. I think of the stars and the moons that I can see when it's dark outside. Sometimes I do get scared when it's dark, but it's dark. It's not black, right? So it's like, how is it? Is it bad that the sky is is black at nighttime, right? No, it's vast and it has beauty in it. You can have these conversations with a three-year-old, just like that. Very super simple. Open your mind. Open their mind. Open the idea, the narratives in which we live behind. We have to realize that we as adults have been conditioned in a way that is fear-based. Based on lots of things. Lived experience, education, indoctrination, media, whatever whatever it is. When we're describing it to children and we are trying to make sure that the children stay safe, that's true, obviously. But the conversation is not to be coming from a space of fear. It's coming from a space of empowerment. And it's extremely important that we realize that inner power, even in the face of racism, is actually how black people survive. It's not by luck. It's not by, you know, uh, you know, wit. It's by inner strength. It's by knowing that there's a bigger, that we are a part of a bigger picture. And that is taught to us, passed down from our ancestors, passed down from people who love us, from the, from the good teacher that you had that saw, the, the black teacher that you saw, had that saw who you were in the midst of the predominantly white space that you were in. So when you have white teachers talking to white kids about race and you're talking about how black people have to survive it, you're already setting up a mindset that they have privilege not to. We can't do that. We have to go the other direction. You know, black kids are not built to be resilient against white kids learning how to not how to harm them. That is not we're in that narrative. We're trying to like piece apart what is considered and I'm air quoting normal. We have to give a different narrative. The narrative that we talk about that we've all been indoctrinated in, that's they're going to learn it too. They're going to have it also. They are not going to have a problem with learning, you know, the criminalization of black people. That's what's in the school books, right? They're arguing about CRT, not even understand what the hell CRT is. Critical race theory is not just history. It's the laws in which built this country. So everything that we're teaching, everything that we're doing is based in, a, in some layer of racism. So if you're going to have this conversation as adults, of course, as protectors of the babies, we want to go, oh, you got to don't don't cause harm. Don't be don't 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 don't. Right. But instead, we could be saying do this and you are this. And this is how this becomes. You can grow from this. Right. We don't have to do this because we have choices in this. That's how you empower children. That's how you change the narrative of what it is that we are trying to do when we are trying to talk and, regu- and, and make the conversation around race comfortable and really stop trying to have that idea that the conversation about race is the, for the protection of black and brown people. That's ridiculous. 
again, I've said it so many times, black and brown people are surviving racism. So the conversation around race is not our issue, right? So we got to get white folks to get more comfortable with the idea that they can talk about race with each other and they can be honest and open with themselves so that they can teach their children that it's not about black and brown people surviving something that's just out there beyond the beyond the capability of the white child choosing to not engage in privilege, right? I had this conversation with someone the other day and I said, you know, um, they were talking about, you know, how they felt about privilege and that, that, that they were like, I try to be very aware of what I get, what the things that I have been given and the things that the way that I have benefited. And that's great. Good on you. Good on you. Absolutely. However, you still have choices. You have choices to engage in privilege. Some, the system systemically gives to you. Others, you can decide to engage within. There are, we always talk about all of our beloved black actors and our beloved, um, you know, authors. And we talk about our beloved, you know, athletes that are black. And when these, these actors that are coming out of these prestigious colleges that are HBCUs that are black, the historically black colleges and universities. But yet you go to all the movies, but you don't support the school. The school are historically underfunded. See, so your privilege and your love for the culture to appreciate, you would then believe that you could utilize what you have to support what you use, right? So we're utilizing and we are enjoying the fruits of the HBCUs, the historically black college and universities, that they are producing these high level actors and these high level authors and these these incredible politicians as if they come out of thin air. But the thing is, is that Howard is underfunded. We could be white folks, privileged people could be supporting. It's interesting, like we have this conversation about the critical race theory. I saw this meme and I thought it was so point, it was so on point. I don't hear any of these news people talking about to black families what they think about talking about race in school. That's privilege, right? It's as if there's only one concern in the school system. How white kids and white families are dealing with this. As if that is the the red light or the green light. Call out the bullshit. It's not about CRT. It's about they're not, you're not the only person there. White folks are not the center of every damn thing. That's my whole point. When we're having these conversations with our children about race, you're centering the fear that white people have about what other white people do. <laughs> you have agency. You, know, you can support HBCUs. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you should be sending your kids to historically black colleges, but hey, it's an option. Don't nobody ever think about that. We, we're sending our black kids to Harvard. Why don't we send them to Howard? You know what I mean? Like, if we're going to talk about it in that way, like, there are choices that you can make. You know, you talk to your kids, you go to, you go to Starbucks, you want to know how much money are you putting into diversity and equity? What does your board look like? Christmas time is coming, y'all. Hanukkah is here. It's coming. Money is going to be flowing. After 2020, are you still hype? 
Are we still looking at how to 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 uh, utilize our privilege and help? Not just when black folks are in distress being beat down by the cops, but because institutionally black and brown people are always always and historically present, historically and present being discriminated against. Don't lose the fight. Keep that same energy. It's time for us not to forget that Hobby Lobby is a is a profound, profoundly racist damn company. Hey you. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry y'all. I got my tea. Thank you very <laughs> Tea time. So anyway, that's what I'm saying. It's like when we when we get into this and we have to figure out how we're moving forward, how we're having these conversations, how we're talking to our kids. This this idea of learning about anti-racism is not something that you do part time or that you do in a way that is just like I, I'm in the moment. I'm feeling it. I'm reading this book and I'm feeling it. When you close that book and you go spend your money somewhere, that's action. When you talk to your kid about someone said, I heard someone say little, little Lamar, little um, Lamar is, was, you know, gross and yucky because he was black. And then you have a conversation and you go straight into the fear. You don't go into the empowerment of Lamar. You don't go into the, the idea of human, of human behavior. And why would you describe another human that way? We don't do that naturally. What we do is we react with our biases, react with our fear-based monologue that we have in our head. All of this requires a step back. What are you invested in? You really like anti-racism work and it really feels good. It feels like the right thing to do. But when it's time to do it is when your investment to it shows up. Your money counts. Who you vote for counts. Who you support counts. The theater. Go see some black theater. It's mind-blowing. Go check out some black art. Go check out indigenous art. Go do something that you've never done before. Put your money there. Put your time there. When your child wants to talk about race, stop yourself and ask a question. Baby, how did you feel about it? What did you think? What's another way that we can talk about this? Because the the reaction is this. You can have all your white feelings that you want, but that's what, this is not what this is about. Again, it's not about you. And it's not about how you feel about it. But it is about what you do with it. That's just real talk. So I didn't wasn't going to stay on here long today. Um, I am just here to give a little provoking thought. I was hoping that I'd have people comment and I could say hello. So I see Monica. Hey, Monica. How, how, hey, 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 how are you? Um, and I meant to put a little heart. I don't know why I put a like face. But anyway, I just wanted to see what y'all had to say about this. If it's ever hard to have these conversations, I already know it is. You know, the talk that black families have with our kids, we have the talk about how to 
interact with white folks of authority by the time they're five years old and they got to go to kindergarten. And then we got to have another talk at eight and another talk at 10. And then the real talk at 14 and 12, depending on 12 and 14, depending on how big your child is and what they look like, how they've developed, right? Black families are having the talk all the damn time. So the point of it is, is that white folks what does your talk look like when it comes to race? And if you're not talking about it, you're engaging in your privilege. And if you talk about it as if you, whiteness, is not the center of the issue, you're still engaging in your privilege. And if you're not talking about it with a solution to what you should do instead of how you should feel, you're still not talking about it. This conversation is much harder to have if you are confused yourself. The investment into to anti-racism has to be very clear because it doesn't waver back and forth. And anti-racism doesn't go and come. It's there. It's a culture. It's supposed to live beyond you. Your standards, your ethics, the way that you conduct your life is supposed to live beyond you. It's a culture. Anti-racism has to be considered a culture, just like anti, just like white supremacy is a culture. So that means we have to make changes in our actions and insist on the changes in our surroundings. With the children, it's imperative. Hi, Cassie. Hey, girl, hey. Yes, so that is my two cents on this particular podcast, short and sweet. I wanted to give it to you the way I was feeling it in the moment. Um, I wanted to give it to you in the, feel, in the way that I was feeling it, um, that I'd been thinking about it this week. A lot of stuff going on in the world. And I'm sick of talking about uh, critical race theory where don't, don't nobody even know what the hell it is. And I'm sick of talking about it from a white point of view. I don't give a damn about how the white kids feel about CRT. We ain't talking to the indigenous kids. We ain't talking to the black kids. We ain't talking to their families. This is an uneven conversation. And it, as it has been, as it were, so to speak. So those of us who have the privilege, those of you who have the privilege, it's time for you to say, I don't want to hear another damn thing about CRT unless it's coming from a black family's mouth, unless it's coming from the black superintendents, unless it's, it's coming from the black teachers, Right? That's coming from the indigenous folks. Let's talk about the native folks. Let's talk about the Latin folks, right? Come on, y'all. We can't be talking about anti-racism and we don't even think about the fact that we don't hear nothing but white folks talking. You know, it's always white folks talking. Come on now. It's, we, we're, we, are, we are aware enough to this point, right? That it can be better. It can be more. I can, we can, it can be more. The conversation can be deeper it can be more rounded if we're talking to everyone involved as if everyone counts you know we got to move forward 2020 catapulted us into some real transformation let's pick it up let's pick it up i mean you know newscasters what's up why are you why are we still talking to the white folks about crt because they get because they get to say so because they get to decide what we all learn at this time this day and age i call bullshit we don't have to do this that's all i'm saying we don't have to do that 
you know, anti-racism is here. We're discussing it in ways we never have. Our narratives have to grow. We have to understand. White folks have to understand. If you're scared about what other white folks will do, that's what you'll be teaching to your kids. And that still is a level of privilege. You got to take it, internalize what's actually happening and make a change. You don't want to be an anti-racist. You want to create an anti-racist culture. So it'll be in the language. It'll be in the policy and the practice. It'll be in the food. Right? This is where we want to go. This is where I'm encouraging any of my clients that come to me for my consultations, any of the clients that come to me for my sessions, that is what I am encouraging. So that's my two cents. That's where I'm headed with it. This is a, the shortest podcast I think I've ever done. <laughs> I appreciate everyone who supports me. I appreciate everybody who takes what I have to say and thinks about it. I appreciate those who don't agree and let me know. I appreciate the engagement. So keep thinking about what I'm talking about. Think about how you can, white folks, think about how you can put some action behind the feeling. Again, this is Black Girl from Eugene, and I'm out.